Hello everyone, my name is Xiomara Diaz, better known as Chap D, and I am one of the chaplains who serve at the 109 Air Wing. And I'm Captain Pete Troya, Director of Personnel at the 109th Airlift Wing, or Chaplain Diaz just nicknamed me Cap G. Our podcast, Beneath the Uniform, focuses on two areas, Beneath the Uniform, the issues, and Beneath the Uniform, the person. We bring you real people with authentic stories and real issues that affect many of us. So pop on in your headphones, turn up the volume, and enjoy the next episode of Beneath, Beneath the, the Uniform. Uniform. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Beneath the Uniform, the person. On today's show, we have a very special guest. He is the head honcho of the 109 Airlift Wing, the commander, the big boss, the one who can get us fired, the wing king, the Colonel Chris Sander. Hi. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Sir, welcome. Such an honor to have you on the show. Um, just for everyone out there, this show couldn't have happened without Colonel Sanders' approval and willingness to go outside of the box uh, promote innovative thinking, take a risk on us, trust us not to say something that would get him fired. So a huge thank you to Colonel Sander. So first first off, I want to say that the whole staff here at Beneath the Uniform send their condolences as you greet the passing of your mother. Well, thank you very much. It's a tough thing for anyone to, uh, to have to deal with, but a uh, lot of support from my 109th family, from my family, and uh, elsewhere, and I just feel very well supported. So, so we will kick off with an easy question, right? Okay. Where were you born? <laughs> we going well, back, back, yeah, back. Yeah. No, that's fine. I'm. Uh, I don't know if, how proud I am of it, but uh, New Jersey. Mm. Oh. Born in New Jersey. Um, Dirty Jersey. Yes. <laughs> in fact, one of my brothers says that's the armpit of the United States. But we won't say that uh, because there's a lot of good things in, in New Jersey. And uh, that's where my family uh, started. Uh, they, uh, you know, they were down there for quite a while. But actually, it started in Canada. But we, we can get into that later. But I was born in, in Angle, Englewood, New Jersey, and uh, kind of happy with the upbringing. I was there until I was 12 years old. So I learned a lot of good things. I learned a lot about playing good baseball as a kid. It's a good baseball community, and uh, but then moved up to uh, the Lake George area after that. All right. Very cool. So you mentioned um, some Canadian origins. What's the story behind your fam family's lineage and um, how your parents picked your name and and like where the history of uh, your family there? Um, so, uh, believe it or not, my parents were, it was a, almost a setup. It was a, it was a modern day setup for the parents to uh, introduce my mother and father together. And they decided to, to go to Canada, brought my mother up to Canada to meet my uh, father's name was Henry, and um, to meet him up in, and they, they uh, went to a place called Brant Lake and um, met. And it turned into, obviously, a relationship that lasted uh, 77 years uh, wow. of marriage. And, um, yeah, they were, they were the old-fashioned type. I mean, my mother was born in 24, my father in 25. Oh, wow. So if you can imagine that uh, they lived through World War II, they were basically the married right, right in the World War II time frame. My father was in the Canadian Air Force. Um, and that's where they basically decided to start their uh, relationship and their marriage was up in Montreal, Canada. Um, the reason my father was there, he uh, comes directly from a German descent, and uh, my grandfather, my opa, actually fought in World War One, oh. 
as a German soldier. Wow. Wow. And uh, so when uh, the whole Nazi party started in the 30s, and he didn't agree with any of that stuff and decided to get out of Germany and went to Canada. So that's where um, my father uh, was was living at the time, uh, you know, when they when they met, and uh, so uh, there was quite an interesting thing for for my father, who was basically brought up by a, a real German uh, German mother in Canada, and uh, they they uh, kept a little bit of their heritage to that, but they did not agree with any of the the whole Nazi party type of thing. They were totally against that. And so there was a limited amount of German culture that we that he grew up with and a limited amount that he gave to his sons um, because my parents wound up having uh, four boys, me being the last one, and everything in the United States. So in, in Canada, uh, they were together and they, they had my first brother. That's where my first brother was born. Rick was born in Canada. Um, and they decided to then move back to move move to New Jersey for some greater opportunities. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Four boys, Yikes. no, no girls. <laughs> I feel so sorry for your mother. Yes, exactly. And, and what kind uh, of troubles you guys got yourself into? It and kind of like the age different. Why yes. is the age different? So yeah, there's a pretty big age difference. They they pretty much had their three first sons almost in a normal succession, two years, three years apart. Um, and uh, so the three of them were the three musketeers growing up. And uh, they primarily, you know, my brother was very, very young when they moved to, to New Jersey. So primarily they uh, grew up in New Jersey and um, uh, they were into every kind of sport. Uh, they were uh, just uh, three rambunctious kids. I, I wish I could actually vouch for it, but I wasn't there obviously. <laughs> but um, yeah, they, they kept my parents busy, but my father really, really loved having uh, his three boys. He's very proud of that. And uh, so was my mother. My mother was uh, very proud of that. And so somewhere along the line, say, um, they decided that uh, they were getting older, these kids, and they decided they wanted to have another child. They actually lost one. Mm. in between uh, myself and uh, they my mother at 40 years old back in 1963 you know when when maybe the medical uh, technology wasn't the way it is today they they went and got a full checkup to see if they were healthy enough to have another child and so they decided to go ahead mm. go for it and they actually uh, they I was born and uh, they call me the bonus baby because uh, just because <laughs> my youngest brother was 10 years old already and the other one my oldest was uh, I think 17 at that time oh, wow. wow and uh, getting ready to join the Air Force actually getting ready to go to ROTC and then eventually join the Air Force and um, uh, so uh, I was the bonus baby and then uh, uh, we wound up moving north to uh, Glens Falls and when we moved, I was, I was on my own. My, all, everybody else was in college or off. And so I came up almost as an only child from that point forward. That means, let me translate that. That means from that point forward, I was a spoil. That's exa right? exactly what that means. And you can ask my three brothers and they will say I was spoiled rotten. Interesting. So with that huge gap, did you feel that you benefited from having older brothers or... Um was it more of an only child experience? And then uh, with that, did you gain the benefit of like 
having older brothers, you're better at sports, right? Because they're always playing with you and you're playing yeah. with the older kids. And did you get that full experience? Yeah, so there was a combination. I would say sometimes I, I used to say I had three fathers and one brother because I had my the closest brother, 10 years older than me, he was more of the, he was close enough that we could still do things together. He coached my little league. He did, we did a lot of uh, things together. He would drag me along with things. The other brothers were already out the door, both of them, both of the older ones in the Air Force, <clears throat> active duty Air Force. And uh, uh, so they would come home and they'd have that, what we alluded to earlier, like what is this spoiled kid getting away with murder for? And so they would almost <laughs> act like my father and uh, kind of like try to straighten me out in their view for the one or two weeks that they were home. And then, uh, but my, my youngest brother, my, the one closest to me, he and I did a lot of things together and in fact, when he graduated college, he actually spent some time in uh, our, you know, lived with us in Lake George area. Mm -hmm. So I got to actually, you know, have that time frame where he's full time. So, so yes, but I benefited a great deal from having older brothers and from them having the New Jersey experience, um, their level of sports. My, my closest brother to me was actually drafted by the Philadelphia Phillies oh, for, wow. uh, as a shortstop. He was 100% scholarship to UConn. Um, as a shortstop and uh, did very well there and was drafted by the Phillies but didn't pursue that because he just didn't feel like he felt like he might be able to play in the minor leagues for a while but he didn't feel like he was going to be able to take it and he had the options to do uh, he was going to be a certified public accountant and yeah. that's what he did passed his test while he was living with us in Lake George and uh, then went on to uh, do his thing after that which was uh, travel to the United States and uh, settle in California. Very cool. Yeah. So three brothers, right? I got siblings. So what was their nickname for you? Because you're the younger one. <laughs> they have to like picking on you, like in something. Yeah, they they call me Eric because that's my middle my middle name, um, and uh, I don't know. They just uh, picked up on Eric more than than Chris or Christian, and so I was known as Eric. And believe it or not, my uh, my youngest, my closest brother, his first son was named Eric. Oh. Um, so he really just liked the name, and um, uh, yeah. So they that that basically, you know, they, I don't think there was any other real names that they gave me. Um, but uh, I spent you know the most time with the youngest one. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Interesting. So, um, what would you say your fi favorite childhood memory uh, is then? Well, I, I really appreciated what my parents did for me in that they always dreamt about being uh, on a lake, living on a lake. And uh, so uh, I can remember going out looking at houses with them uh, on this little lake, which uh, happens to be uh, directly middle point between New Jersey where you know we did where I started uh, my life down there and Montreal where my grandfather was still alive yeah. almost dead center was Glen Lake in Glens Falls or Queensbury area and so my parents really wanted it but to buy a place on on the lake is always expensive mm -hmm. and I don't know how they did it but um, we looked at these places together and I uh, really liked this one, which happened to be in an affordable range. It was a little bit beat up. It was a little uh, 
older. It was basically a camp that needed winterization and all that kind of stuff. But we decided together at that age, at this this young age, that um, that hey, they they took in my input and uh, decided to go ahead and take the risk and take the big mortgage and really try to uh, get that. And then so for they, so we did. We got in there. We had to do a lot of work to it, but it. I had the greatest friends and the greatest uh, upbringing and experience being able to stay on that. It's a little, it's a small lake. It's only like three miles long um, and camps all around it. But uh, to grow up in that area, uh, even though we struggled, I will say my um, my father, you know, he never made more. His highest paycheck was $25,000 a year. Now, that was a long time ago, but... Uh, 25000 still wasn't a lot back then. And my mother never worked, except for that she was the organist at the church. And so she made a little bit of money of that, but most yeah. of that was donation, donated time. So so one way or another, they got those three through college. One brother had full scholarship. The others had partial scholarships. And they were able to buy this little camp. And uh, that the memory of having to going with them and finding that place, and to that day we still we still have that place right now, um, both my mother and father lived there to their last day, and uh, um, that's just the great, the greatest thing that ever happened to me. That's awesome. That's really good. It's yeah. kind of like the best of both worlds, you know, worlds. Yeah. That's just pretty cool. You spoke about friends, all yeah. right? So who is your posse? With my posse, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, a, I'm kind of a small circle guy, right? So I don't, you'll never see me as a big time, you know, politician ever in my life with, you know, all kinds of uh, entourage or whatever. I'm kind of a small circle person. And uh, so I have three or four really close friends that uh, were also on the lake. Now, when, on this lake, we went to Lake George High School. Lake George High School being a bigger, more beautiful, more prestigious lake with uh, everything from very rich kids to very poor kids uh, going to that school. We were we were kind of in the lower middle, if you will, and people used to make fun of us as, as the Glen Lake boonies. <laughs> and uh, but so my I have three or four very very close friends that were in the same age group. One of them, the closest one, I would say, uh, he he knew my grandfather. My grandfather actually maintained a camp right there, not on the lake, but right in that area. He maintained it. My father bought that camp before we moved up there because it was the midpoint between Montreal where he was and, and Lake George and, and, and New Jersey. And um, so we would go visit him and this best friend, Carl, he, he was there living there. And so he was a basically same age, one year older. And so we, yeah. we got, to, got to be close friends then even before I even moved there. And uh, from there though, we maintained this relationship of, uh, of being at the lake and doing doing that type of thing and being kind of uh, on the same team when it came to all the other Lake George type cliques that were yeah. there because I'll tell you something Lake George High School is a small school but a lot of cliques a lot of different <laughs> entities uh, that you had to deal with and and uh, myself not being uh, you know as outgoing as, as others uh, uh, having that small circle that banded together and to this day we still you know all all of them were at my mother's funeral uh just a couple weeks ago and all of them you know thought of her as mom and so that was that that close of a friendship wow still still friends to this day absolutely there's a lot to say for that how on earth did you stay friends through your journeys 
and not having Facebook and Instagram. How, <laughs> how do we stay connected? Yeah, true that. And it, it, it was the type of thing where we, it was such such a bond that even though you might not have seen or talked to somebody in a while, that it was like you just left them. You just you know, and so we would um, we 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 always came back to that that place. Uh, in or near Lake uh, Glen Lake. I mean, mo- most of all, most of all these guys that they they had a, their parents had rented or they owned a place and they all moved away from it. But we uh, maintained the relationship um, in one way or another, just doing doing things together. Doing uh, uh, we even we even all at one time all got four wheelers and we would ride up the same mountain and uh, spend the same time up on this cliff up there and talk about what's going on in our lives. And uh, we'd walk up there if we didn't have the machines to help us. So uh, uh, it was just things that we did together on a routine basis. And, uh, you know, now they're married and our wives are friends. And a lot of them are married to actually to high school girls that I knew as well. I'm one of the only ones that didn't (laughs) marry a high school uh, person. I couldn't say high school sweetheart because a lot of it was after they came got back together. But, um, yeah. So you were now a jock. Neither a nerd. What exactly was your group? <laughs> well, I was I was actually in the jock. You in the jock? Uh, yeah, okay. I was in the jock group. Uh, uh, we what do they call it? Uh, there were the nerds. Yeah, maybe uh, uh, there was also the heads. The heads were the smokers and the this and the that. <laughs> that uh, um, and so uh, my my circle of friends uh, that were that we we were jocks sometimes and sometimes there, there was a couple of them that turned into heads after a little while, <laughs> but uh, they. Uh, uh, somehow uh, the the jock part was always good. Now that was baseball for us. I mean, we had a great baseball um, uh, youth program that I was able to get into right away, and uh, got close friends there. And then the high school program was fantastic as well. And uh, since we were a school of, I think we graduated with ninety nine uh, people altogether, which is we couldn't quite make a hundred. We tried. There was one that we were encouraging, but uh, didn't get over the over the hump. But um, yeah, so uh, small school. But actually, the school has gotten smaller. It's I think they're graduating 80 or so now. Uh, so you could, if you wanted to be on the team, you probably could be on the team. But um, we just we really loved the, the the game, and we we played hard, and we wound up winning a championship a couple times. And and uh, I have a couple trophies in my. Uh, bedroom that I still have from high school so uh, we had fun with that um, I also played hockey uh, kind of in the uh, youth league the school wasn't big enough to have its own league so I played hockey in the Adirondack Youth uh, Hockey Association and so um, uh, that was fun I got to meet other people but it was a little harder not having my close buddies yeah. play in that same league yeah. what would you say is the uh, greatest lesson you learned from your time in sports because as we know sports really mirrors life yes yeah teamwork you know that you uh, have to rely on others that you have to encourage others um, have faith in them Um, uh, it was you know I felt it because I had one one of our play one of our uh, key players who's has passed uh, already um, he used to call me clutch and uh, just those little encouraging words you know obviously 
it meant that I would come through in the clutch, right? I was, I was, I batted fourth and, you know, always seemed to come up in some kind of uh, clutch situation and sometimes would execute. But um, he was uh, our number one batter, and so he was our leadoff man. And um, that teamwork of, of uh, encouraging, um, picking on each other a little bit, um, you know, not being happy if somebody screwed up and but able to press on, um, all that type of thing uh, was started. I learned that. And I had a great coach um, that was no nonsense, and, but he was a, a great guy that we got to know personally after a little while. And uh, his wife was involved in the team and used to bring us food and things like that. And so just this big teamwork in a small group to try to get something done. So, you know, it's not all rosy. It wasn't all just trophies yeah. back in those days. Yeah. Um, uh, but you'd, you'd learned how, to, how to, to work as a team and, and rely on each other. So just before we, we turn to the career and how we got there, so you speak a lot about treasuring your friends, the loyalty, the teamwork. Uh, sounds you're a family man, which we'll touch up on that in a minute here. But um, uh, do you have a specific momentum from that you treasure so much from your dad and from your mom? That is, yeah. is your thing. Yeah, yeah. So I mentioned that my parents were born in the 20s and that they lived through World War Two. Just imagine all this, right? World War II, Korea, Vietnam, those those type of uh, the you know there was even some the Great Depression was you know like in the yeah. beginning of their life that they had to deal with that their parents had to deal with that um, all those things in history that you hear about they they lived through it and um, so they. Uh, instilled in me uh, a, a, a certain type of, uh, I would call it attitude, work ethic um, that is r very rare, or at least, you know, having that as so close to you was um, something very, very special. And um, they, they, they tended to just not go be, uh, let things bother them to a great extent because they've been through bigger yeah. and worse things and as long as they were together which I mentioned they were together for their for 77 years um, as long as they were together and the family was talking and sticking to, to talking about these things and just working through everything there was nothing that was going to be able to stop us from just staying together nothing was going to be so bad that it would cause any kind of breakup or any kind of catastrophic problem with the family and 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 they kind of did it by the time by the time my parents got were had me alone you know and dealing with me they didn't have to bring out the old uh what they called the Auschwitz, uh which is spanking uh, oh. a slipper is <laughs> a, a german word for Auschwitz. it's just a spanking i guess and they didn't have to do that uh, which my brothers always, you know, they had to walk to school uphill both ways, that type of thing. But uh, uh, they didn't have to do that um, with me because they they had this ability to just give me a look, a disappointing look, which I never wanted to disappoint them. And um, I, it wasn't like um, if I disappointed them, I would be in deep trouble. It was just that they gave me so much and did so much for me 
they're counting on me to um, kind of take that in and be a person about it and a, a good person about it. And just uh, that, so that disappointing look that I got once in a while was more effective than any like spanking or any kind of yelling or any kind of, uh, you know, overt discipline. Um, it was it was something. So I don't know how they did it. I think it's from experience with uh, three others. Yeah. And um, and just that upbringing that they had, um, that they were able to, to do that. So I just really, and I, I try to do that with my kids too. Now my kids are getting older. They're like my youngest kid is 27 and uh, one that's pushing 30 here. So uh, I got young kids that are that are adults now. And um, so I try to do it with them too. And, and uh, uh, it's just a, I'm just so lucky to have such a um, uh, an upbringing that was mostly positive. You know, every, any family there's negative pieces. You know, we had I had to deal with some you know addiction in in the family, and and uh, and then you know corrections that came of it, and then other things that went wrong. Um, I had to I, as the youngest, you know, and the parents being the oldest. You had to deal with that type of thing as far as uh, health getting uh, worse and maybe addictions being getting worse. Um, but I've, what they instilled in me, never given up on me, I never gave up on them. So I was there with them right to the end. And, and that's what my main goal was, is to make sure that they could pass in their house, which was uh, an effort that my wife and I took on and it was took great sacrifice but they sacrificed more for us than even my wife will say she feels more closely to my parents than she does does to her own so there is a Mrs. Sander out there yes there is <laughs> all right so um by the way I'm sure your brothers strongly disagree that you didn't deserve those spankings <laughs> yes yeah, they do. They, to this day they still uh put them on to the this line. day they still say that <laughs> so how this shy because I'm envisioning this shy jockey guy you know goes outside of the school where you kind of like your your people right and as our mrs sander what's her name uh eustacia eustacia we call her stacia but her full name is eustacia all right greek so how do you you know how she caught your eye how how was the swag <laughs> what was the timeline was it college yeah. was it after college. Christopher or? Swag. Yeah. <laughs> Christian. 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 I keep saying Christopher. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I would say that I was in my zone at the time. It was uh, it was just after college, my summer after college when I met her. Uh, I went When I went to college, you know, I mentioned that humble beginnings as far as financial. I started off, I went to a, to a um, community college for the first two years. And then to uh, Clarkson University, which is a pretty, pretty good engineering school, expensive. And uh, based on my community college uh, grades and things like that, I, w I did, did okay as far as scholarship and whatnot. So um, got through that because I was really nervous about that top end school, whether I was smart enough to get through it. I was able to get through it, so now I'm in my zone, right? So I've graduated, I'm an engineer. I, uh, it's feeling good. Feeling good, <laughs> and summer, trying to get a job, didn't get one. Didn't get one out of college right right away. So summer had to do my old my old jobs, and I picked. Up, I was actually working three jobs. I was driving um, a parasail boat, which was awesome job, 
you know, just imagine being out in the sun all day driving a boat. Uh, it was also uh, working for uh, this older gentleman that needed hands and a, and a strong back to help him because he was a carpenter, but he was getting too old to do it. So I was learning all that carpentry stuff. And then I picked up a valet parking job at, uh, at a local restaurant. And around the same time that I started, I think um, my wife, uh, you know, she started as a hostess at that same and she she tells the story like she asking the question like who's that cute guy out there who's that cute? <laughs> well I don't know that's so she came out with uh, soup one day say hey, it's kind of cold out I'll give you some soup okay. we got to talking and then it was cookies and uh, then we went out on a couple dates and so just kept on going from there. <laughs> Got it. So after the soups and the cookies, he said, maybe she likes me. I should ask her out. <laughs> She's like, come on, I got to give you a cake now? Or yeah, yeah, a steak? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she she uh, she made sure that I noticed her and uh, that I did. And and uh, we went from there. How many years do you be married? Oh, why do you have to ask? Since 1989, <laughs> I, I'm not good at the public math. So It's like 33. Yeah, there you 33 go. Years. since 1989, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, kids, you got any kids? Yeah, we have two girls, awesome girls. They're uh, doing very, very well. Um, one is an LCSW, working at Saratoga Hospital, social worker, working in the crisis uh, room in the emergency department. And uh, she likes that type of thing. She likes dealing with the people in crisis and getting them straightened out and get them so that they can get the services that they need. Important. And that's what she deals with. Uh, she was working at BOCES with uh, children, troubled children as well, getting them uh, settled in so that they can start learning in a normal manner. So she liked that, uh, but she likes her uh, Saratoga Hospital. And the other one, uh, um, she became a doctor of physical therapy. Uh, if we were betting, we wouldn't have thought that she would have um, gotten that much school and did that well when she was younger. She was a little bit more rebellious, if you would, um, but she was a star softball pitcher and and uh, went to college and then decided to keep on going. And yeah, so now she has her doctorate and she's right now working in Virginia um, in physical therapy. And I think she's going to be a grand success. She's been doing now out of school for about a year. So uh, she's going to be right. a su success. She's working pediatrics right now, um, which she really, really likes working with the kids. That's Very awesome. Cool. So you come from a family of four boys, but then in turn, yes. you have two girls. So uh, raising two girls, how was that adjustment for you? And, and sort of follow up to that is, <laughs> were you able to be the parent you wanted to be? Or did you have to adjust on the fly based on how it was going? Yeah, that's a good question, because I used to complain about it. I didn't have just two girls I had wife, two girls, the dog was a girl, the cat was a girl. <laughs> was, I was just surrounded by girls when I'm not, not really used to that. And uh, uh, yeah, I had to adjust a little bit. I had to learn because not only was I, you know, from a boy family, but, um, you know, an old only child, so to speak, right, you know. Right. So, uh, yeah, I had to adjust to it. Um, I think I'm still adjusting to it. <laughs> I I still I still uh, have to learn uh, some things as they get older and as uh, as the, my relationship with them develops, uh, and it, it's going very well. So my youngest was 
uh, more into sports. I mentioned that she's softball. She wanted to be a softball pitcher and kind of when you're a softball pitcher in high school, you're kind of the lead of the team. And she's a starter that's pitched every game if possible. And um, and that came from a lot of uh, time spending with her and pitching a ball and throwing a ball around and kind of more of the of that type of relationship with her. Uh, my my young my oldest, the firstborn. That was a lot of fun. I just had a lot of fun with her, um, doing just kid things, rolling around, telling stories, uh, um, carrying her all over the place. Uh, um, we used to play chase the kitty, where I would hold on to her and we'd run around, and the kitty'd be running around, and we would chase her around. Not not in a bad way though, just in a fun way. <laughs> and uh, we used to tell stories, and I would read her to her almost every night, and. Uh, that was the type of relationship I had with with her. So I kind of just went on the fly. I was not an expert. Didn't didn't try to be an expert and try to listen to uh, these perspectives. But it was definitely different, for sure. So did the look work on your daughter? <laughs> I don't know. I think it worked on my oldest daughter better than the youngest one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, the I I did. We, there was no spankings. I, uh, I don't know. Maybe they would correct me on that, but there were no uh, no spankings, and there was no need for any of that. Um, they also had that feeling of trying to to do the right thing by their parents. That's great. That's that's awesome. So you did the parasailing. You did the car. Uh, what is the name? Ballet. Ballet. The. So how? The military comes in place and <laughs> where do you start it yeah that's it's kind of unique what i got going on there because i mentioned that you know i didn't have a job right out of i had the summer so i enjoyed that summer but i did get a job an engineering job right after that so um i spent six years uh working for a catheter manufacturing company where I was an engineer, I was a quality engineer, and then I was a validation engineer validating the processes that they would be producing products that would not you know, break during a surgery or something like that. So um, that was interesting, but it was really my brother, my middle brother, who was in the Air Force, as I mentioned, he was flying F-4 Phantoms, um, decided to get out, got out, he's uh, we call, I call him the rocket scientist because he's a metallurgy engineer. He's got two master's degree in metallurgy engineering. He actually works here at Knoll's uh, Atomic um, Research Lab over here. And uh, he uh, joined this unit before, you know, I was still in college or whatever when he joined. And um, he was here. And he just mentioned to me one day as I approached 27 years old, I've got my time. I'm working as an engineer. Says, you know, they're looking for entry level pilots, and the cutoff is 27 and a half years old. <laughs> Said, if you want to do it, because you mention it every now and then. In fact, I visited him in Georgia when he was there, and he got me in a simulator, and I got to be like 20 feet away from formation takeoffs on an F4 Phantom. And if anybody's seen those F4 Phantoms, they just will rock the earth um, with the power that they had. So. Uh, he knew I was kind of turned on by that type of thing. So he said, it, and so he, all he did was say, this is how you do it. You put in this paperwork and give it a shot. And so that's what I did. I, I interviewed here, right here at this base in the CAT, 
which is why I don't want to take that cat table out of there because I was interviewed right on that cat table. Um, and uh, they interviewed me. And, you know, I had done well in college. I had a good job. It was a technical-based job, so they, they, they felt strongly in there. And I had my brother's recommendation. My brother had a great um, uh, reputation here at the 109th as a navigator. Eventually became the chief navigator and, and, and things like that. But um, with his reputation, they gave me a chance. I had zero flight experience. Oh. In fact, I well, what I did just before the interview, I went out and soloed. So that takes about 10, 12 hours of flying and private flying. And I soloed so I could at least say that, <laughs> that I could solo an airplane. And uh, because of my age and whatnot, I don't know how it happened, but they selected me and I got under the wire by about two months and was sent to pilot training within wow. uh, that time frame. So uh, basically did went to pilot training and everything, took a leave of absence for my job and came back. And then I went back to my old, my old job and was a guardsman here for six years. And um, then the USAP program came along and I joined, I got full time. And then in those days, um, if you thought you wanted to stay at this base throughout your entire career and not just the short term, you went technician, federal technician, and that's what I did under the advice of, of uh, all the old timers that were there who were also technicians. And uh, we uh, became the technician mafia, if you will, <laughs> they used to say. But um, yeah, I became full-time, and I just, I've been full-time ever since then, since um, I think that was 1999 is when I started. So, Actually, 97, to be honest. That was when I started the USAP program. So, wow. So, he has seen the. So, that means <clears throat> that you have seen not only this base grow, uh, the mission grow, the potential growth, but at the same time, you, you really feel for this base and its people. Absolutely. I mean, it's given me so much. I, uh, my, you know, my brother was here. The folks that I uh, got to fly with as a young lieutenant and work with um, had a big influence on me they were they were from they they had Vietnam experience they had there was every, everything from uh, you know life experience they were farmers they were um, you know electricians and things like that to uh, just you know good military people um, and you, you really got to know people when you went traveling when you went on trips and back then we did a lot of little trips, weekend trips, as an air crew. And uh, this base has given me and my family a lot. And I really feel like it's part, it's part of me. It doesn't define me, as some might say, but, it, but it's part, a big, big part of me. And uh, I really am trying to give back as much, or at least a piece of what I've gained um, in trying to make things as good as I can in these you know changing time frames yes. you know so um yeah it, when i say the 109th family i really really mean it and i try to encourage that because when i was you know at the midpoint i was like ah this is family this that doesn't make sense this is work this isn't family it is and the sooner you realize that you have uh support uh as a family would support you good things bad things people can tell you constructive criticism people that can just mentor you and help you they're all right here and there are so many different personalities and uh education levels and expertise that it you just you, you got the best family there is right here and uh i try to encourage that um talk about it 
because I really, really feel it. So you, you, you're obviously drawn to leadership, right? And it, it seems like as we get more yeah. of the story, it was really um, embedded in you from birth through your grandparents, parents, and then into you as a leader. Um, squadron commander, deputy group commander, group commander, vice commander, wing commander, all big leadership roles. Um, what's been your biggest challenge coming from the crew mentality where you have to be so intimate and so close with each other because it's just you and your lives on the line up there, right? When, right. when you're in a crew of six and, um, you know, become friends and develop relationships throughout the year, but then switching to that leadership role and now having to maybe counsel one of those members or friends or how has that transition been for you? Yeah, it's, it is definitely a transition. You start to do it naturally in the air crew force because you become aircraft commander and you have to like, you, you, it's not just all fun and games, if you will. Copilot is the best job there is in the Air Force because you have all the flying without any of the responsibility. Uh, but, so you start to develop that when you become an aircraft commander. Um, I, when, you, when it comes down to doing the right thing as far as the right thing for your, your fellow airmen, the right thing for your, uh, your family member or anything else, it is fairly obvious to me. I don't need a regulation. I never relied on a regulation. I always went to a regulation to back up where I'm at. But to me, it was a natural uh, thing to think about the right thing to do. And so I wasn't afraid to um, foster that or discipline for that right thing uh, because it just seemed so common sense uh, to me. So it, it was a transition. I think, you know, it's still transitioning. Um, as I moved from leaving the ops group, uh, I, had, I stepped away and went to the maintenance group for a year and a half. And that was quite a little. All of a sudden, it was like, now I'm button heads with, yeah. because it was fly, fly, fly. We need airplanes, airplanes, and we should be able to get airplanes whenever we want them. To seeing the logistics of, of producing those aircraft on a regular basis so that it can be consistent long term. Uh, that was a big transition to learning experience. I applied my knowledge of ops and and tried to make both sides understand. Um, there's still that friction, you know, to some degree, uh, but it's a healthy healthy thing to, uh, to to look at it from your perspective. But and 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 try to drive your perspective. But the main thing is to listen. But yes, it, uh, there was definitely times when it was difficult. I'll tell a story. Um, it's not the proudest moment of my life as a, as a learning leader, but uh, so down in Antarctica, ODF, um, we had, uh, you know, I was deployed commander. So um, I think one of the, I think probably my first year as deployed commander. And one of the other uh, senior people, not quite as senior to me, came to me and said, hey, this is going on. This is wrong. It was, it was kind of, um, a little bit of like harassment of of someone, and I and I knew both people and things like that. And I was like, "Don't tell me this. That means I'm gonna have to do something about it." And you know what? It, I, I let that go for like five minutes, and that just ate at me. Like, mm -hmm. no, I cannot do that. I cannot just let this go. I'm not proud of the fact that it, I hesitated for those minutes. 
not proud of that at all. But I sat down. I, I said, I this is this is where I got to do something about this, and and did, and um, and we took care of that situation. Uh, not too many people know about the hesitation, except for the one that told me, and he was surprised and. And, uh, you know, he was like, well, it's your problem now because I handed it to you. I told you about it. I got it off my plate. Uh, but, yeah, we handled it. And we handled it in the right way where it was constructive for both. It didn't get out of hand. It didn't go like things can develop like we know now through our education that little things develop into big things. We took care of it when it was at the le little level. And uh, and it was one of my first experiences doing that. And, and when you're down there in Antarctica as the deployed commander, you are kind of the Top. You can't just run up to the wing commander or your group commander or whatever. You're, you're the guy that has to take care of it. And uh, that was a big learning experience. And although I'm not super proud of it, I think it did help me get over that hump yeah. and, and get into that realm of things. Yeah. So what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have about you? <laughs> um, hmm. Well, maybe... Uh, Maybe that I don't, uh, you know, I don't get out and see them and therefore don't care. I hope that's not the case, but I'm sure it is in some areas. Um, one of the things that, uh, you know, you could say COVID was stifling, and it did, but that's not, that isn't really uh, what's going on. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I'm not like a politician, and I'm, I quite frankly, I'm, I'm kind of introverted to, to a degree, and I have a small circle. And it's hard for me to just get out and wander around and, and, develop, and, and do something constructive as far as get into a conversation. I, I actually have a little anxiety about that type of thing. And uh, so it's hard for me to do that. So that's not where my expertise is. Um, but I'm trying to do it more often at a COVID is in our past, and um, we are getting more and more able to get together and do things. I'm working hard on taking care of that weakness, and I, I hope no one thinks it's um, from a lack of caring, because I care a lot about uh, every, every piece of what's going on in the swing, and there's always, I'm always learning more things Uh, as I go and do this, so I forced myself, and I've asked, I've actually asked my exec and and uh, my chief to say, "Hey, make me do this, All right? Let's go do it." Um, so uh, hopefully, uh, I can I can get out to sections, and and you can see we we're doing the lunch with airmen, which is really really good, but that's only a few people, right? So and then there's a there's a lot of entities that won't see you when you just do these few things. So I try real hard. I, I kind of want people to understand that it's uh, it's not maybe my strong point to be like that, and um, don't take it in any other way that uh, that I, I don't care because I do, and um, I'm going to get out there and hey, don't be afraid to come see me too, come and see, come to our meetings and whatnot, or come to a anything that goes on um, because uh, I I really am impressed with our our folks here and the things that they do. Um, even though I've been here for a long time, I, there's still many things that I learn each and every time. Well, yeah. you know, if you think about it, you know, being able to allow us to do even this podcast, this is part of, of you getting out there and helping the people and, and give it a voice to your 
um, direction in the wind and, and resiliency, stuff like that. So I think it's safe to say that after 31 years, right? <laughs> 31 much, years, yeah. he does care about this win and and talk to him just just you know say hey i, I have i want to chat with you you may have to make an appointment but <laughs> actually no I, i'll chat i i can chat sometimes you know you run into something or, or whatever we'll just make you make an appointment that's all yeah. <laughs> oh, that is what it is <laughs> well it's a powerful statement because i'm sure if we pulled the wing more people would relate to your feelings are than than the opposite, right? And um, you know the the opposite, super extroverted type leader that you know where is sort of cliche in in society. A lot of people see through that, and they think that's fake. So when I look at you, I see authenticity, um, I see reliability, and there's a, a calm that you bring, which is nice sometimes from coming from the top. I appreciate that. That's. Uh I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, back uh, we used to do um, personality training, right? Um, lenses, four lenses. Yeah. Was, yeah. And I know there's other iterations of it now, but it's a real, uh, it's an excellent thing. So I took that uh, four lenses first time, you know, type of thing. And guess what color I, I was? I was green. Green is the introverted type. <laughs> green is the engineer type that has to have everything perfect, yeah, right, yeah. before they're going to say anything. And... Uh, uh, you know what else it is? It is also the least um, effective in leadership. Huh. Um, at least they say that as far as it's not, doesn't mean you are an ineffective leader. It means that your natural tendencies don't foster um, obvious le- leadership. So, so um, I, I learned that, I don't know, maybe that was 10, 15, probably 15 years ago. And at first was like, ah, you know, no. But then I uh, realized it's a weakness and, and try it. And those, those things you said about the being calm, yep, that is, that I appreciate that, that you recognize that because I do find as a strength, you do do that in, a, uh, in the airplane sometimes, you have an emergency. If it's not boldface that you don't have to act, react real quick, you're better off taking a breath, figuring out what's going on, and getting collective information and uh, then make a decision. I mean, I used to have some of the some of the people that I that were senior to me when I was younger. They're all like, "Oh, you're going to be a wing commander." I'm like, "Are you kidding me? No way!" <laughs> because of the, these thoughts that I had that I'm not this politician and I'm not going to be like uh, some of the other uh, leaders that might be out there. I said, "No, nah, that won't that won't be the case." But hey, different strengths, different people, and um, I'm not going to not be myself. It, I, I got here being myself. I'm going to continue to be myself. Authenticity. <laughs> That's important. So, best piece of advice you got? <laughs> what is the best piece of advice that you ever got? And from whom? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, I don't know if I can pinpoint one uh, piece of advice. I... I think um, collectively learned uh, to trust yourself, um, listen. Uh, Actually, you know what? The best piece of advice is um, the habits of highly effective people is the book, right? Yeah, Stephen Covey. Stephen Mm -hmm. Covey. And to begin with the end in mind is something that... um, really hits me as super super effective so if you know where you want to get to 
and you communicate that, the pieces that get get there to get there uh, will come together as long as you keep that focus on the end. And in his descriptions, he talked about what do you, what would you want your eulogy to say? Hmm. And that's the type of person that you should try to work towards being. And um, it, it is something that you know. What what would, what would I want to have somebody say about my wing command or my ops group command or that type of frame? I tr- try. That's the best piece of advice that I think I've gotten, and it was really out of the book. There's some other really good pieces of advice, but that one sticks with me big time, and uh, I think that it works on all angles, professionally, uh, your home life, anything that you do, any project that you might do. All right, so. All right, Chapti, it's that time of the show. It's that time of the show. We have got there right now, right? Uh Uh-oh. So if you heard the show before, uh, you're familiar, but we like to finish with a one minute rapid fire questions. Uh, Please answer with the first word that comes to mind. Uh, Captain G is going to hit me up with the one minute clock. This this can be edited, right? (laughs) (laughs) And it's literally the first words that come to mind to you, very basic questions. All right? Okay. Right. Clock is ready. Clock is ready. Let's do it. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, the wing commander on the rapid questions. (laughs) What is your favorite color? Blue. What is your favorite animal? Mm, Dog. What is your favorite food? Steak. What is your favorite sport to play? Baseball. What is your go-to pastime? Watching hockey. <laughs> Who is your favorite Disney character? Is uh, Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite store? Is Dick's Sporting Good. Do you collect anything? If so, what? Um, collect the coins. What is your hidden talent? Uh, I'm a listener. Cannonball into the pool or dip a toe first? Cannonball. (laughs) (laughs) It might not not sound logical, but yes. (laughs) What is your favorite book of all times? Um, Is... um, Well, I guess it's the, it's the, the seven habits of highly effective people. What is your favorite band of all time? Van Halen. Favorite teacher? Um, Mr. Snyder. He's Why? my math teacher and baseball coach. Nice. If I call your boss right now and ask them to describe you in one word, what word they will use? Um, effective. <laughs> what about your wife? A, this is an interview, right? This yes. is a job interview, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what your wife will say about you in a word? Um, Legit, good husband, I, I hope. <laughs> and your daughters? My daughters would say uh, that I was consistent and, and um, a good mentor. And your mother? Good, good son. Uh, good little boy, she probably would say, because I was always a little boy, even when I was 40 or 50 years old. Um, but, uh, yeah, she, she was an angel. And uh, I think she only say good things about me and everybody else. Outstanding. How did he do on the time? Awesome. Five seconds left. All right. Great job, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. All right, Chapty. That's going to wrap it up. So, sir, again, a huge thank you uh, for allowing us to do this podcast. And on 
being one of our honored guests. Um, a lot of takeaways, so please out there, really listen in to some of the messages we had here. We talked about teamwork. We talked about being consistent, showing up in the clutch, how important perspective is and learning from your life lessons, not only from the past, but from the future. So very powerful episode. Your vulnerability is appreciated, sir, and it will go a long way. It will touch a lot of people. We promise you that. Well, tradition, right? He's, he's grounded on tradition as well. And something to take away is uh, don't judge a book by its cover. Any departing words for us? I appreciate this opportunity. I hope a lot of folks um, basically are more comfortable to speak to me as I try real hard to be comfortable to get out and speak to them. And uh, it's a great opportunity. I think what an idea this is. This is, this is really an excellent idea. And you guys are doing a great job. Thank you, sir. Thanks, sir. Well, that's all for now. Thank you for listening to Beneath the Uniform, The Person. This is Shab D. And Cap G. We see you in our next podcast. But for now, we drop the mic. <laughs>